You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Psalm 138. We'll read it in just a little bit. Uh, We'll be back in our series tonight on worship and uh, Wednesdays in worship is kind of the way I've been thinking about this. And at this point, we've seen a few things about worship. It's been a couple weeks since we've been in the series. Um, But it begins with a humble seeking of the Lord. Um, Meaning that if you think about it, uh, coming to church isn't about coming to church. It's about coming to seek the Lord. And uh, coming to church or, or opening your Bible is not just about reading your Bible. Uh, reading your Bible is about seeking and finding the Lord. It's a revelation of God. And I think sometimes we forget that real worship can't take place unless you're seeking the Lord himself. It's not a ritual. It's not a, an activity. It is you seeking a person. And that person is God. We've also studied the definition of worship, worship, which means to express the worth of another, specifically, according to the Bible, specifically by bowing. It's a pretty tight definition in the Bible, and, and bowing is a lost art in our society. You know, we're, we're Americans, we bow to, we're, or Americans, as they say these days, we bow to no one, don't tread on me. Um, but I believe our habit, though, of not bowing has caused us to lose a certain amount of awe before God. There is something that happens when you bow before God. That posture does something to you. It makes you um, vulnerable. It causes you to feel humble. And we need more of that before God. Um, The last time we saw then how God seeks worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the balance to the bowing is it's not just bowing, the posture and the heart matter. It's not just about what you do, it's about why you're doing it. And so, so far, those are the kind of the things that we've looked at. And, and today we're going to start by analyzing a label. And we won't really get to this a lot in this, this message tonight. We'll be covering it maybe over the course of the next few. But it's a label that most of us are familiar with. And that is the worship service. And since, most, since the most biblical form of bowing, or I'm sorry, worshiping, is to bow in adoration, then can a service that only includes congregational singing and an offering and special music and an offertory and preaching, could we accurately then label that a worship service? And no one is suggesting that those things are not valid. No one is suggesting that those things don't matter. They all play a very important part in our service. And those things aren't any less important than any other element. They're to be major parts of what we do when we assemble. But is it possible? Is it possible that in the process of fulfilling those other elements as we gather together and enjoy those other things that we might could unintentionally miss what it means to genuinely worship? I think we would have to say it is possible. I'm not, and that is not a criticism. I'm saying it could be that we come in on our hands and knees every week and some of us could still miss worship. 
because we're so used to, maybe we get used to the bowing. And, and so it is possible for us to unintentionally miss what it means to have genuine worship. And, the, and these are some of the questions that Brother Dave Hardy poses in his book, Worship and the Ear of God. And they're good questions. We're never above examining ourselves in light of what the scripture says. Don't ever put us in a, in a position and say, well, we're independent Baptists, we're fundamental Baptists, we go by the book, and therefore we're not subject to its scrutiny. That, that's a dangerous position to be in. And we, we must always be willing to have a good um, amount of self-examination. And so Brother Hardy's point then is if we're going to call it a worship service, where's the worship? And it, would, it wouldn't seem right if you have a service and you say, hey, come in on... On this night, we're going to have a preaching service, and you never have preaching. Or Wednesday nights, what's the label a lot of Wednesday night services receive um, in, in our culture, in church culture? What do they sometimes call it? They call it a prayer meeting, or they call it maybe a, a Bible study, those two things. Well, if we say, come to Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, but we never pray corporately, and we never open the Bible then you would say we probably need to rename what we're calling our Wednesday night service. Like, uh, you know, something really trendy, like experience or something like that, you know. Let's just change. That way it can be anything you want it to be. And there's, no, there's no real defining word. No, it's, so I'm just, I just want us to be biblical. And, and I still believe we, we need to cover more of what worship is. And, and you'll find that although I'm giving very objective definitions, um, I'm still leaving room for, for people to land where they're going to land. Um, but tonight the question is this, what makes worship unique? Um, what is it about worship that's unique from other things that are similar? And there, it is helpful at times, if you want to understand what something means, it's helpful at times to compare it to similar ideas. So tonight I would like to compare Three words uh, that are similar, perhaps, or thought of lumped into the same category. And that's these three words, prayer, praise, and worship. Prayer, praise, and worship. All three very often work together, and they may even look very similar, but they're not the same. And so I would like to read Psalm 138. Um, and so let's go ahead and stand as we read it, I know it's a little bit late to stand, um, but I also think standing halfway through the service sometimes is a good thing because it helps keep us awake. 138, we're just going to read the whole psalm, and I would like to read it together. There aren't a lot of proper names or anything strange in here, so we should be able to do this. Psalm 138, we'll begin reading in verse 1, and as we do, I want you in your own mind to try to distinguish the differences between maybe what you would call prayer, what you would call praise, and what you might then would call worship. Okay, so Psalm 138, verse 1, here we go. I will praise thee with my whole heart out loud before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answeredst me and strengthenedst me with thy strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. 
Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the words of thine own hands. Thank you. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. So I'm just going to make it simple tonight. We're going to start by looking at what you might would call prayer in this passage. Prayer. And, and I think the first time that it becomes obvious that prayer is mentioned is verse 3. Look what it says. In the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. That sounds like a request, doesn't it? You cried to the Lord. Alfred P. Gibbs wrote a book, and, and it's called Worship the Christian's Highest Occupation. And Brother Hardy actually references this book in his book, Worship in the Ear of God. And then a few weeks ago, Brother Dr. Mark Huntington came to me and said, have you heard about this book? And I didn't recognize the name, but I'd forgotten that Brother Hardy references it. So Brother Huntington gave me uh, the book. And uh, so I'm able to have the book there that Brother Hardy is referencing. So it's been really good. I've been able to read through it. It's been a help as I do. But here's something that Alfred Gibbs says about worship or the Christian's highest occupation when he refers to the differences between prayer, praise, and worship. And this is a very good summary of it. In the whole message, I could just do this, and that would be the message. But broadly speaking, prayer is the occupation of the soul with its needs. Praise is the occupation of the soul with its blessings. Worship is the occupation of the soul with God himself. Prayer is the occupation of the soul with its needs. Praise is the occupation of the soul with its blessings. Worship is the occupation of the soul with God himself. So just at first glance, I think you're going to see the direction we're going tonight. Just at first glance, you can see how prayer, it's not bad to pray. But in many ways, the occupied thought in prayer is, God, my needs. And praise is a good thing, but in praise, the occupied thought in praise can be, God, my blessings. But in worship, the occupied thought has nothing to do with me. It is all about the person, God himself. And Gibbs, to illustrate this, he tells the story of a fireman who rescued a young lady. There was a fire in London. She was trapped at the top of the building. And there was very little hope for her to escape except for a brave young fireman who was willing to mount a ladder and, and brave the flames and finally reached her and carried her to safety. And after, in the excitement of of all that had taken place, she forgot to say thank you. So she reached out the next day to call on him and say thank you. And she did. And then he returned that call. And then that turned into a relationship, a friendship, 
which eventually turned into a relationship of romance, which eventually then turned into a wedding day with those two calling each other man and wife. And they say the marriage relationship ought to be on fire, and I think that's a good example right there. So, At first, she just simply, but think about it, she first simply expressed appreciation for his act of bravery in saving her. But as time went by, her desire progressed to a feeling of respect for him, which then became love, and that love was reciprocated. So think about it. The young lady, she did not need to be saved again. Thankfulness and appreciation had already been expressed, but it was the person that captured her attention. Who and what he was, that is what remained in her mind and what began as one act turned into love and respect for a person, for the person behind the act. That's the idea of worship. You know, we have a lot of scriptural examples of prayers in the form of asking. I think about the prayer of Jabez in, in 1 Chronicles 4. Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast and that, thou would, that thine hand might be with me and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he, his, he requested. And it's what a fine prayer from this man Jabez. He asked for it and he, he sought God and God granted it. I think about 2 Chronicles. I was just reading some of these today. How Solomon knelt on a, on a brazen scaffold before the Lord as they had just completed the building of the temple. And, and there's this, it starts with praise. And God, look what you've done. And God, you've blessed us like this. And all these, all these things. But before he ever got um, to that, he simply cleared off his spot and talked about who God is. And then he went into all the things that he's asking God for, all the requests. I think about Elijah's uh, succinct prayer in 1 Kings 17 about stopping rain and how James summarizes that by saying, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. James 4.2 says, ye ask not because ye... You have not because you ask not. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. I don't have to go into a lot of, of requests or a lot of examples of requests in Scripture. We know what prayer is. We've seen it. And frankly, we're, we're not bad at prayer. Now, I'm not saying our prayer lives are, are always good. I think that's always the thing I feel like I need to work on the most. But as a child... From a child, it was not hard for me to do this to my parents. When they have food or they have candy, I mean, if they have something I want, you know, we, this, this kind of comes a little bit naturally. We understand prayer. So prayer, though, is asking. Praise is thanksgiving. Um, look at Psalm 38, 138, verse 1. 
our passage. It says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. Now, that word gods is not capitalized, so we know it's not referring to the true God. And, and it could be referring to uh, the gods that surrounded David in all the lands around him, the false gods. Or it could also mean uh, angels. I believe it probably means that word can be translated as judges or rulers. And those around him, and I believe that's probably what it means, because look down in verse 4, he says, All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. I believe that's probably what David had in mind uh, when he's saying, I'll praise thee before the gods, in the same way that you would call somebody Lord this or Lord that. It's, and so he's talking about the rulers. He's talking about kings. He says, I'm going to praise thee. I'll praise thee before those people. And, and, and he says in verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Verse 4, all the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of, of thy mouth. You, you see praise here. And praise like worship it, it attributes worth to God. It's a very similar idea. It's attributing worth to God. But praise may be more expressive of what God has done for us, his blessings given to us, rather than just who he is. Uh, for instance, I mean, even in Judges uh, 5 verse 2, it says, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel. When the people willingly offered themselves. And if you notice when it's talking about praise. It very often praise ye the Lord for this reason. Because what he did here or what he has done here. And admittedly I know it's difficult to separate uh, what God has done from who God is. It's hard to separate who he is from his works. But it's that nuance. Okay, It is important. This is a... a, a Mark of maturity that you're able to separate God from, uh, at, from a per, as the person that he is from the works that he does. It is that nuance that gives us a glimpse into the differences between praise and worship. Uh, I think about 1 Chronicles 16, it expresses the progression uh, from prayer to praise. It says, and say ye, save us, O God of our salvation. That's a prayer. And gather us together and deliver us from the heathen. That's a prayer. That we may give thanks to thy holy name and glory in thy praise. So it's very clearly uh, asking something. God give me this. God help me with this. That I may in turn give you thanks. Give you praise. Thanksgiving and praise are often interchangeable. And this connection be of praise and thanksgiving, it's strengthened when you study the word and what it means. The, the Hebrew word uh, translated praise is halal, which means being sincerely and deeply thankful for and are satisfied in lauding a superior quality or great act of the object. When there's something that truly stands out about an object, you can't help but talk about it. You ever go to a restaurant and you had that dish and you could not help to talk about it because you're lauding a superior quality? Okay, I'm just going to put in a plug for Original Pancake House right now. They have omelets there. And they're not just omelets. Now, I, I just say this. I have not gone around talking about omelets from other places. Original Pancake House, or OGPH as we call it, the insiders, um, 
they have five egg omelets. And, and be, based on the price of eggs, it, co- it is the same price as a Buick right now, but worth it, okay? So these omelets are unique in that when you cut it open, a mountain of cheese, it's like a volcano of cheese comes out. And, and not only that, they're not flat omelets, they are baked. So it literally is volcanic, cheesy mountain, I think is the way omelet translates, okay? Volcanic, cheesy mountain, okay? That's what it's like. I don't talk about omelets from anywhere else like I do from Original Pancake House because it stands out. And I know that's a trite illustration, but when you find something that you really like and that you think is superior, you can't help but talk about it. That's the idea of praise. And when you have a God that's as good as ours is and has done as much as what ours has done, if you don't talk about it, there's something wrong with your thought process when it comes to thanksgiving. Because he, is, he has superior qualities all around. Uh, a synonym for halal is yada, which means to acknowledge uh, characteristics or, or works. And the Greek word in the New Testament reflects the root meaning as the word value. So you've got all of these words coming together for praise. And the idea is when something is so superior and it has such great characteristics and it's done such mighty works, that means its value is greater than anything else and you cannot help but speak about it because it has that kind of value. That's the idea in the Bible about praise. And if you notice in in Romans 1, which we talked about often last year in our series um, about having a noisy soul and, and the, the Romans 1 was about that they knew God but glorified him not as God it says neither were they what? Thankful. So they looked at creation and they had this evidence of God and they had the opportunity to know God but they didn't glorify him as God and they weren't thankful for him and it took them down a path that none of us would ever want our culture to go. It was an awful, uh, an awful situation. Um, but those two conditions uh, often go together. When you're unthankful and, and, you, and you also then have uh, pride. See, pride slays Thanksgiving, Henry Beecher said. But a humble mind is the soil out of which thanks naturally grows. A proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. And here's the thing. Someone with pride will be without praise. Someone Someone with pride will be without praise. And you could say the opposite. Someone without praise is with pride. I mean, I, I, you know, and I'm not trying to, uh, point anybody out in here, but, but I've been around a few folks who refuse to sing during a song service. And when I think about someone who will not open their mouths to sing, and, and their reason might be, I can't sing, or I'm embarrassed to sing, or um, I am uncomfortable singing, you know, I don't hear the, the excuses that they're using. I hear this, I have pride. And 
all of those excuses, I'm uncomfortable, I'm embarrassed, I can't carry a tune, all of those are focused on who? Self. So listen, let me just encourage you tonight. You may not be in the habit of singing. You young people need to hear this too. Uh, can I just tell you this? You are not too cool to sing in church. Some of you are super cool, okay? I'll say that. None of you are too cool to sing the praises of God in church. Now, he is worthy of your praise. And those a little bit older, he is worthy of your praise. Those who don't have the, you don't have the courage maybe you think to sing or you don't have the confidence. No, it's not about you. Do you serve a God that has done enough to sing praises about? And if you do, listen, the only reason that a person would be without praise is because they have pride in their heart. And those two things are exactly opposite. We see that in Romans 1, those men, those people were unthankful. They didn't glorify God as God. They had pride and it cost them so much. Don't be in that category. So, so far, I don't want to get off on a different tangent. So, don't, so far, we've looked at prayer. Prayer is focusing our occupation with our needs. We've talked about praise. It's an occupation with our blessings, what God has done and third is worship, and I think you probably know where we're going. Verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple. We, there's clearly worship right here in this passage. And it causes me to think about, when I think about worship, I think about adoration and awe. That you're in such adoration, you have such awe for what the Lord has done. I, I think about the Queen of Sheba's visit to because of the incredible report that she had of King Solomon. And so she goes and she hears and she, she's heard about his wisdom. She's heard about his wealth. And the text says that she comes to Jerusalem and with a very large company of people and with these hard questions. So she comes asking difficult questions of Solomon. And it's apparent that she had not believed all she heard. She comes in thinking it's got to be an exaggeration. There's no way that he is as good as, he, as people say, that he is as much as what people say. And after she heard his wisdom and after she saw his abundance, along with the way that his, even his servants, the Bible says, the way his servants conducted themselves, that was impressive to her. And the way then he would ascend into the house of the Lord, that was impressive to her. Then she said, the Bible says that there was no more spirit in her. Her skepticism was gone when she said, the one half of the greatness of thy wisdom was not told me, for thou exceedest the fame that I heard. And if the queen of Sheba, listen, if the queen of Sheba could not by words visualize or begin to grasp the greatness of a king, Solomon, the chances of us having even the smallest grasp of who our God is and what our God is like is very unlikely. We have much more to go on than she did because our God has provided revelation. He's provided revealing of these two books, uh, the book of creation, he's revealed himself. And then the book of his word, God's word, he's revealed himself. And he's in Psalm 19, talks about creation. It talks about the law. I'm thankful uh, that we have both. And too many times, you know, general revelation, which would be creation, is sold short of its due uh, place in light of special revelation. But listen, you can see God in nature. 
You can see God in creation. He's the author of both. Jesus, think about it, Jesus' own words are the words of God. But very often, what did he use to illustrate the truth that he was trying to give us? He used parables. And what were those parables regarding? Usually farming, agriculture. He used nature to prove uh, the truths and and the principles that he was giving. And the more we look, the more we should be overcome with awe for our creator. I can't help but see a mountain and just want to stop and stare at it. And I mean, my, my son and I today, um, I don't know I, I, what it is about bald eagles. I, lo- I just like seeing bald eagles. Every time we go, I'm pointing out, Jace, there's a bald eagle. We saw a few on the way today. And he has a book. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. All right, looking back down. But Jace, another bald eagle. You know, I, I love to stop and see mountains. And, you know, I, my kids don't necessarily always get it. But, but it's because I think, I mean, if a mountain is that great, then the, the person who made it, I mean, there must, must be something pretty special about him, and there is. You know, and that's the difference between prayer and praise and worship is prayer says, Lord, save me. Praise says, Lord, thank you for saving my soul. But worship says, Lord, thank you for who thou art. It's not about... It's not about my needs and it's not about my blessings. It's about who he is. And I want to use this illustration to kind of wrap it up. There's a man who couldn't swim and he fell into water. And Gibbs uses this illustration too. He fell into a river and as he desperately struggled to break free and save himself. And he realized it was hopeless. So he cries from the depths of his heart, help, help, save me, save me. That's prayer. That's the prayer part. You know, you don't have to teach a a convicted sinner to pray. They'll know how to cry out. A Puritan commentary on Psalm 107, which is about uh, how sinners are described as crying to God for deliverance. Um, It says this, misery wonderfully indoctrinates a person in the art of prayer. Misery wonderfully indoctrinates a person in the art of prayer. How many have ever been miserable? Okay, probably it's okay to raise your hand. How many have felt yourself praying more when you were miserable than just about any other time in your life? Yeah, me too. Miserably miserable, (laughs) misery wonderfully indoctrinates us because we have no other options but to cry out to God. So this man is in the river and he's drowning and this random stranger but well-dressed stranger suddenly appears and without hesitation jumps into the river and saves the man and risks his own life to bring him back to shore. So the response to the re- of the rescued one is this. How could I ever express my gratitude? Thank you. I can't say it enough. I mean 10,000, oh for 10,000 tongues to sing If only, and that's what that song means. I mean, I I could sing with one tongue about God, but oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. It still wouldn't be enough to praise God and worship him for who he is. If I had a thousand, I couldn't thank you enough, he says to this man. And this is a picture of a lost sinner who's been rescued from the effects of sin and death and hell by Jesus Christ. But that joy and that thanksgiving, once he was pulled out of the river... That is praise. 
So the prayer was, God, say, or help, save me. The praise is, oh, thank you, thank you for saving me. And after the rescue then, the rescuer hands the other man a card and says this, I'd love to have you over for a meal tomorrow night. And the man says, you've already done so much. I mean, are you sure? And he says, yes, I'd love to have you over. So the rescued one goes home and the next day, um, right before 6.30, he gets in his car and he drives to the address. And as he goes to the address, he realizes that his rescuer lives in the nicest neighborhood in town. And not only the nicest neighborhood, the nicest, biggest mansion in the whole city. That's the guy that rescued him. He pulls in. He's greeted by a butler who takes him into the dining room and sits him at the table. And they have a meal that, that is a once-in-a-lifetime meal. Food like he'd never had before. The service is top-notch. The rescuer's charm and grace and manners and humility are second to none. And this rescued man sits there and he's blown away. Now listen, all the while, he never forgets that he was rescued. But he's no longer focusing on being rescued. He is now focusing on who rescued him. It's not just the fact that this person pulled me out of the water, but this kind of person pulled me out of the water. He's the most gracious man I've ever met. He's the kindest man I've ever met. He's the best host I've ever met. He's given me the best food I've ever had. It's the best hospitality I've ever experienced. It's the greatest evening I've ever had in my life. And yes, I'm thankful that he rescued me. But what makes it even more amazing is that it's this guy Somebody like this rescued me. Yeah. And the more he visits, the more he learns to appreciate the kind of man that rescued him. That's worship. Yeah. Prayer says, save me. Uh, praise says, thank you for saving me. Worship says, I can't believe somebody like you. Not only that you would save me, but that you would want a relationship with me. Yeah. And that you would let me come and sit at your table. That you would let me have time with you. That you would treat me like a friend. That you would let me eat the same food you're eating. That you'd extend your hand of fellowship and be so kind to me. See, worship comes after salvation. By knowing God and appreciating him on a level that you never would have before. So I'm asking tonight, which step are you on? Because prayer isn't occupied with your needs. And, and, I, and listen, there are times in our lives when we go before God and all we can do is express our needs. But you can't live that way for long you can't be that one-sided when it comes to your relationship with God. It can't always be about, well, what can God give me? Maybe that's the step you're in. But listen, your desire should be, I need to take a step to praise. And even in praise, not just about my needs, but thank you, God, for meeting my needs. And I mean, just 
personally things that have happened in my life and in my children's lives. And I'm thinking about my, you know, Olivia and just some of the things that she's learning as a 20-year-old young lady. And I was telling my wife today, I was like, man, we, we prayed for this when she was a baby, that God would give her faith and answer her prayers and give her uh, uh, her own walk with God. And, and we're getting to really see that. I mean, just by her own testimony and things that she's learning and ways that she's growing. And I just today on the phone, I'm telling my wife, it's like, we prayed for this for so long and we're getting to see it happen. It's like, man, it's awesome. And, and you can get to a phase of life and you ought to always praise God for what he's done and the blessings he's given. But, but we can't live there either where we're always just talking about our blessings. Because if you're here in praise, it's always, you know, God, give me, give me, give me. And God, thank you for giving me. Thank you for giving to me. Thank you for giving to me. See, can you imagine, though, being the God on the other end and the people that you are trying to minister to and be a blessing to, they're only preoccupied with how you can help them meet their needs and all the gifts you've ever given them. And never once do they come to you and say, I don't really care what you can give to me. I just want to be with you. I'm not really concerned tonight with what you can help me with. I just want to be close to you. Because, yeah, you can give me great gifts. And you have given me great gifts. And you've saved me. And you've done these great things. But more than that, now that I know what kind of person you are, I don't want to be around anybody else more than I want to be around you. And can you imagine, as a father what that does for you when your children make the transition what I'm saying is too many of us live preoccupied with our needs or preoccupied with our blessings is it wrong to pray no is it wrong to praise no but there ought to be a time in your spiritual maturity it will be a sign of spiritual maturity when your relationship with God goes from preoccupation with self to a preoccupation with his self when it's really just about you and God and your relationship with him is where you find your satisfaction. It's not about gifts. It's not about needs. It's about a person. And my challenge to you tonight is of all the things we could talk about worship is did you realize that you could make worship a part of your everyday? And I would encourage you to, in your prayer time, have prayers have praises, but have a time just of worship where not once do you ask for anything and not once do you even say thank you because you've already done that, but you simply praise God for who he is, his character, his might, his strength, his holiness, his love, his compassion. You know what helps me get into worship mode in my own walk with God is to sing a song. I mean, very often when I'm feeling self-occupied, you know what song I sing? How Great Thou Art. I mean, it just makes me turn my attention away from myself and look to heaven and say, I want this to be about you, Lord. I don't want it to be about you, my needs. I don't want it to be about my blessings. I want it to be about you as a person. And in your spiritual maturity, if you're grading yourself, are you over here? Are you over here or have you gotten to the place 
where you're over here and you're finding your satisfaction in worship because of who God is, not because of what he's done and not because of the blessings that he's given you. And I think as a people, we would do ourselves well to take some time to just worship because of who God is. Let's stand together. Thank you for your attention. And let's ask God to just speak to our hearts about this and, and if there's a, a change or an adjustment that needs to be made in our relationship with the Lord. I mean, in church as well, but maybe tonight more of a personal application. Uh, you, you can have a worship time in your bedroom. You can have a worship time uh, in your time with the Lord. And sometimes we spend so much time asking God we forget to just take time to be with God. And maybe that's where we fail and where we need to maybe shift our thinking a little bit tonight. Let's ask God to help us. Father, I pray that you bless us and give us direction this evening that you would help us to be humble about our need to take a step in these directions. Lord, maybe I think there may be some, um, there may be some, some preoccupation with our own needs and our own blessings and really what we need to be preoccupied with is, your, is you. And help us, Lord, not to be just so about what you can give us or do for us, but who you are. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we continue this study on worship to be worshipers in spirit and in truth. God, work as you will in this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.